Good morning, everyone. I'd say Happy New Year's, but we're not there just yet. But we're, we're just about. I'm in the way of your fish fry tonight. So we will do our best to get through this. And as Mike said, um, we will not solve the problems of the world in this message. But we will bring up some of the problems in the world in this message. So the title is, What's in Store for 2024? At this time uh, in the calendar year, if you were to listen to the news, listen to the radio, go online, everybody's talking about what? New Year's resolutions. They're talking about, as Mike mentioned during announcements, what happened in 23? Who's famous that died in 23? All the crazy stuff that they all talk about. They'll have shows on TV about this for hours on, on that subject, which is crazy. Um, and looking at what was good about 23 and what was bad about 23. And then they look forward. What do we expect in 24? And that is the title uh, of our message. Um, but if you can turn in your Bibles, I should say, uh, let's start with Philippians 3, 12 to 16. And let me get it on the screen. My apologies. Oops, there we go. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we commit this time to you, Lord, as we Look forward, as we just read in Philippians chapter 3. Lord, as we look forward, what's going to happen next year, Lord? We don't know the answers, but we know somebody who does, and it's you. But Lord, we look to you to be our strength, to be our rock, to be our salvation for the next year, Lord, and the rest of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Again, looking back uh, at this, the title, what's in store for 2024? I'm not a person that does news resolutions or, you know, you just go to the gym in January and February. Some of you might know what I'm about to say. And it's so packed, right? You go to the gym, everybody's at the gym uh, by about March, by about April. Then it starts to die out and it just kind of winds down uh, through the year. Uh, I've seen that over the years when, when I was, when I did that. But let me tell you about what I knew this was the title of the message. I've been chewing on this for weeks, and that's how I study. I just chew on it and chew on it and chew on it. I read, I read, I read, I pray, I pray, I pray. But I don't put anything on paper or type anything in until the last three days. That's how I do it, because the Lord changes it, and I love it when he does. This message is not what it started out to be, and I love it. It puts pressure, but it's great. I love it. This, the cadence of this message today 
is actually from, of all places, a song that came into my head. I didn't put the lyrics up or anything like that. And I actually asked Ben um, if he actually knew this song, and he didn't, because this song dates him. Okay. So, but if anybody remembers, you know, give me a give me a shout or give me a hand up if you remember this Christian rock band called White Cross. All right. You Mennonites should not have been listening to White Cross. <laughs> All right. So, they did a song in the it was written in the late 80s and but it actually didn't get published or or uh it was recorded in a lot of edits in studio and all that but it didn't actually the 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 album called In the Kingdom did not come out until early 90s right around 9091 so i'm not going to read this whole song and of course i'm not going to sing it but i'm going to i'm going to read uh, some of the song not the chorus so hopefully you remember this song let me preface it by this the words that you're going to hear set the cadence for this message and it's not the specific words, but it's the style it's written because it's written in a contrast, a contrast to what the world says compared to the contra- a contrast to what the word says or what the kingdom, living in the kingdom is like and the characteristics of living in the kingdom of God today. So here we go. One thing I'll say, there's a reference to the walls coming down. It's a reference to the Berlin Wall. The Berlin Wall came down in 1989. Do we all remember, those of us who were, were, were aware of all that when it was going on at the time, do we remember that the battle between the two great foes of the modern world, America and capitalism versus the Soviet Union and communism, and the Berlin Wall fell in 1989? It was the beginning of the end of the Soviet Empire which today is now the Russian Federation and a lot of other countries uh, next to it. So that's what that reference is. So let's go ahead and I'll, I'll read this right now. Saw the headlines just the other day. Said the wall is coming down. Said the peace is just a breath away. I'm going to interject there. This is the beginning of what was... Um, I don't know if it was taught in school, but it was the beginning of Pax Americana. Do anybody, does anybody remember that term? Pax Americana means American peace. Now, there was a peace, and we're going to discuss that later, back in 32 BC that went to about just, just you know, 300s, right up to around 300 or so AD. And we'll talk about that one a little bit further when we get into this. But this was the crescendo of American civilization and American military power. The wall had fallen. I'll repeat it and then I won't interject. Saw the headlines just the other day. Said the wall's coming down. Said the peace is just a breath away. One world, one voice, one happy family. Yeah, that's what the world believes. And now in contrast, I read my Bible just the other day, said the kingdom's coming down. Jesus said the kingdom's just a prayer away. One Lord, one God, one faith eternally. Yeah, that's what the church believes. And now we go through the cadence again. 
heard a newsman just the other day said a war was coming down. He said that destruction was just a breath away. One world, one war, one awesome tragedy. Yeah, that's what the world believes. What does that reference in the writer, the, the, the songwriter's mind? In 1989, it was Pax Americana. In 1990, a guy by the name of Saddam Hussein decided, eh, I'm going to move into Kuwait. And the result was the Gulf War. Now, it didn't last very long if you read your history books. It wasn't a world war such as the Great War, the war that would end all wars, World War I, or the Second World War. However, a lot of nations were involved. It just wasn't uh, the United States involved in that. What else happened in 1990? Pax Americana, the world has a heralding of peace throughout the world. There was a civil war in the nation of Rwanda that same year. And there was also a genocide. And up to 800,000 people were killed just in the genocide, not armed combatants. Pax Americana. I heard a preacher just the other day. He must have been thinking of Pastor Mike. He said, God's glory's coming down. Just as the waters cover all the seas, one king, one crown, one reign forevermore. Yeah, I'm getting teary-eyed because I actually hear the song as I'm doing this and it sounds better than me. Yeah, that's what we have and more. So... You can thank that song for the cadence uh, of, of uh, this morning's message. So what I did, Mike kind of touched on it, and Mike does not know the content of this message. What I did is I looked at leaders in technology, leaders in government, politics, leaders in uh, economics. I looked at some of their white papers the last number of weeks. White papers is where they plan this is what we're going to do in the future. The World Economic Forum does it all the time. Get on the website. You'll see the craziest things. Actually, you'll read some of the craziest things of what they plan for us. So fun stuff. This message is not meant to scare. It's meant to inform. But this message is meant to give hope, and boy, does it give hope. Amen? So I looked at four different areas. This subject of artificial intelligence is probably one of the most discussed subjects out there when you talk to futurists. A futurist, there's a couple of names you'll see later. A futurist is a person who uh, basically looks out hundreds of years and plans now. I'll say it this way. Probably the one government that hired a bunch of futurists was the government of Nazi Germany because they had a 500-year Reich plan and a 1,000-year Reich plan. And how long did they last? 13 years or 12 years? Yeah, that really worked out well for them. Okay, so artificial intelligence. Are we overcome by artificial intelligence? Do, you, do, do, do we think in our lives today, I want everyone here to think about what you do on a daily basis. Is this impacting your life? Some would say yes, some might say uh, no. Okay. It's turned off, by the way. Does anybody have one of these? I don't mean on you right now, but does anybody own one of these? 
Raise your hands. Ooh, okay. This is the best artificial intelligence spy to get into our lives. Of course, our computers as well. I'm not going to be bashing technology. I actually love technology. If some of you out there would say, you know, artificial intelligence doesn't affect my daily life. Well, I have something I'm going to read to you. It's from the University of York in England. And this is what they say. Once we've turned our devices on, my iPhone, it's that button right there. It's off. We instantly plug into an artificial or AI functionality. Face ID and image recognition. I don't turn that on on my phone to look at my face. Okay. Emails. Emails are, um, I'll just say it, I'll leave it there. Apps. Apps are artificial intelligence. There's another term out there, a little acronym called ML. It's called machine learning. We're teaching the machine by everywhere we go. Social media, browser searches. Anybody ever notice that if you use Google, um, that you'd search something, search something, search something, a month or two later, it's always, it's gonna bring those back up to you. It's not necessarily me, it's AI predicting where you wanna go because it, you've built a habit into the system. Digital voice assistants like Apple, Siri, Amazon, Alexa. Online banking, I thought that one was strange, but yes. Driving aids, does anybody use this? Back in the day, we used to know where we were on the road, or we had a paper map. I love paper maps. But now we don't use those, right? Do we use these for GPS? Because you can't drive, that's why. <laughs> One of these days, you'll get there. Shopping. And they mentioned leisure, downtime, like if people stream online and things like that. AI is driving all that. So here are two areas, I'm gonna, I need to go fast. Here are two areas where AI is impacting our lives where we may not know it. Grocery store shelves. You ever notice that the things that are purchased the most are typically at eye level? Probably for the average American, which I didn't look it up, but let's say the average American, male and female, is probably five foot six or five, whatever that number is when you balance it out. The most purchased items are right there. Who's gonna put the most purchased item where you, can't even see it when you look down, or you're looking at the label sideways. AI does all that, and AI spits out a report and tells the stores, this is where you need to put X product. Artificial intelligence tracks that. The next one is traffic lights. AI is becoming more and more integrated into our infrastructure and our transportation system that when you roll up on traffic lights, it already knows because you're using a GPS, right? Most people do. Most people use GPS just to get to the grocery store, I heard. I don't know why, but anyway. Uh, it's just something they feel comfortable with, even though it's just a couple miles or less than 10 miles down the road. AI predicts how many cars are going to be at that traffic light, so then it impacts all the traffic lights from all the other directions to feed that, and it does it for all traffic lights. That right now is implemented in one city in the United States. It's a test project, and it's in Seattle and then it will roll across the country. So AI is going to affect us there. So here's my question before we, we go on to look at some shocking, shocking comments. Is AI good or is AI evil? 
I guess one answer is it's depending on how you use it. The thing is, we don't control it. That is the reason this picture is here. I put this picture up for a reason. Because there's an assumption with this picture. AI is in the palm of a man's hand, signifying that that man controls it. He might today, but will he tomorrow? Because the goal of futurists is that AI is sentient. In other words, AI can think for itself. It doesn't have to rely on what's put into it. It relies like we are. We can think for ourselves. That AI has a free will. Very scary thought, of course. The one thing I'll say, I'm not going to answer this question, but I'll say this. The old computer adage, those of you who work in computers, you've known this for many years. Garbage in, garbage out. AI can have a bias because the people who programmed it and put the information in, their bias goes into it. Just get on chat GPT. I didn't write this down, Mike. Just get on chat GPT and ask a question, a question about Christian ethics. And then ask it from a worldly standpoint. You'll, you'll see the bias real quick. It doesn't take long. A couple questions, you'll see a bias in AI. It's not biased toward the word of God, by the way. So let's look at some quotes. I'm going to introduce you to a gentleman by the name of Yuval Noah Harari. Yuval Noah Harari, I didn't want to honor him by putting his picture on our walls. He is the lead advisor to Klaus Schwab in the World Economic Forum, the WEF. These are the folks who are planning the next 50, 100, 200, 1,000 year, the 1,000 year Reich. These are the guys who are planning this. He is also the lead spiritual guru to the leader of the WEF. The biggest question may be in economics and politics of the coming decades. What will be done with all these useless people? The problem would be boredom in how what to do with them in how will they find some sense of meaning in life when they're basically meaningless and worthless. I'm going to interject. He's one of the ones who is leading the charge for AI. Okay? And you can tell where he thinks humankind is going when AI takes over. My best guess at present is a combination of drugs in computer games as a solution for more. It's already happening under different titles, different headings. You see many more people spending more and more time solving their inner problems with the drugs and computer games, both legal drugs and illegal drugs. Do we have uh, an insight into this gentleman's mind? Just This man, I would say, is probably one of the 50 most powerful people in the world today. And he's not even an elected official. If you think about it from the viewpoint of the poor, it looks terrible because throughout history, death was the great equalizer. The big consolation of the poor throughout history was that, okay, these rich people have it good, but they're going to die just like me. But think about the world saying 50 years, 100 years. Will the poor people continue to die, but the rich people, in addition to all the other things they get, they also get an exemption from death. That's the plan. They live forever through AI. We won't go into how, but maybe another time. 
couple quick ones from him, and then we'll move on. Again, we're looking at it from the world perspective. In a second here, we'll look at it from the biblical perspective. There are no gods, no nations, no money, and no human rights, except in our collective imagination. God, apparently, is in our imagination, a figment of our imagination. Countries don't exist. Could be true. Their borders are being erased. No human rights except in our imagination. All the big religions have been organized around fake news. Just think of the Bible. Fake news lasts forever in some cases. Are we getting an understanding of where they want the world to go and people who are shaking or shaping that future from a secular, worldly perspective. Humans are now about to do something that natural selection never managed to do, which is to create inorganic life, AI. If you look at this in the cosmic terms of four billion years of life on Earth, we can argue that, (laughs) not even in the short term of 50,000 years or, or, or so of human history, We are on the verge of breaking out of the organic realm. Then we can go to the earth spirit, his reference to God, and say, what do you think about that? We are equal to the spirit we understand, not you. Could you imagine saying that to the living God? It's interesting, his middle name is Noah. He's actually Jewish. (laughs) He's at, and he's also a professor at Hebrew University in Jerusalem. Human history began when men created gods. It will end when men become gods. There's the long-term goal of the futurists. One last quote, I think. Yeah. In terms of ideas, in terms of religions... The most important place in the world in religious terms is Silicon Valley. It's not the Middle East. This is where the new religions are being created now by people like Ray Kurzweil. And these are the religions that will take over the world. Ray Kurzweil is a a fellow futurist. He was hired by Google to teach the Google system AI a number of years ago. So he works for Google. What does the Bible say? Philippians 3, 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. So let's think about what Mr. Harari said and think about what Paul said to the church at Philippi. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. I think we just heard some quotes from one. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus In the Lord. Mr. Harari said that the poor, 
they're just going to die, and they're going to keep on dying, while the elite, they can live for eternity. What did Jesus say? He will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. I sign up for this kingdom, amen? Not the kingdom of, of the WF or Mr. Harari. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I pray Mr. Harari will one day have the mind of Christ, of course. One of the other topics that came up in the research of talking about 2024 was war. In this section, you will think that Ethan and I compared notes to the first part of Sunday school class, but it, it's the Lord. We did not know, didn't know anything of what we were going to be talking about today. This is a real picture. It's been colorized. The original's black and white. Uh, this is Bikini Atoll in the Marshall Islands, mid-1940s. This is a test. This bomb was a thousand times stronger than the bombs we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, much stronger. You can see the force of it. Just look at the warships being driven up out of the water on the right and then a small one on the upper left. Uh, again, it was a test, so nobody was killed. i trying to find a picture. I didn't want to put a picture that would not be good for the little ones to see when we look at war. So this summed it up really, really well. Matthew 24, we're not going to read there. We all know what it says, wars and rumors of wars. We talked about Pax Americana. And just a short matter of months later, you have the invasion of Kuwait, and then you have Americans right back in the Middle East. Thankfully, it was a very short time. But that set off something else, didn't it? It was a precursor to, to later 9-11, the precursor to the war on terror, the precursor to... You go back to that time and you can see that, not this picture, but you can see that time frame when that song was written were the shockwaves of the things that we're still dealing with today in the world. And that's just looking at our nation, how it directly impacted us. But what about all the other nations in the world that are, that are at war or were at war uh, back then? So we have to look at the subject of war. They who have waged war in obedience to the divine command. I need to stop there. In the Old Testament, God told the people of Israel to go to war. But in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, love your enemy. And that was mentioned in, in Sunday school. This was written by Augustine. Augustine is not an Old Testament person. I think he wrote this right around 400 A.D., so I'll start again. They who have waged war in obedience to his divine command or in conformity with his laws have represented in their persons the public justice or the wisdom of government, and in such capacity have put to death wicked men. Such persons have by no means violated the commandment, thou shall not kill. 
I should have put it in the slides. I can't remember who said it, but I'm going to paraphrase a quote for all of us. And I apologize for not writing it down or not putting it up there. Make sure I get it worded right. To kill somebody is illegal, and the penalty is death. But to kill somebody under a flag with the trumpets bearing no retribution. Do we understand the gist of that? Okay. When the flags are flying, when the church has decreed it so, I'm trying to get into Augustine's mind here. Maybe if I should spend more time reading The City of God. That's one of his most famous books that he wrote. But what does the Bible say about this subject? Oops. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought, excuse me, every uh, lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. The Apostle Paul wrote this to two different churches, Corinth and Ephesus. So it wasn't just to one church, it was two different churches. And these letters went out through the churches as well. Not just when it was written, 100 AD, 200 AD, 300 AD. And we get that, we're reading it today in 2023. These verses, or these, let's say, life principles for the believer, these are the verses that helped, quote unquote, from the book of Acts, turn the world upside down. Do we know that from the book of Acts? Yep. So when these verses and these words first went out to the world at that time, the early apostolic church was at the time of Pax Romana. We heard about Pax Americana. Didn't last very long, did it? Pax Romana means Roman peace. Rome was an empire that was forged with battle and blood and takeover, and there were good parts of it, of course. Pax Romana was 32 BC, I actually wrote this down, to almost 300 AD. So the people that lived by those, we'll say creeds, or those words, turned the world upside down with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it impacted the entire world, let's say, the, the Roman Empire. Mike knows I'm not a big fan of Emperor Constantine, so does Derek. But what happened around the beginning of 300 AD, 313 maybe? The church and the state came together under Constantine. And the world was no longer turned upside down. Yes, 
It was safer for Christians. There was, there were benefits to what happened under Constantine. But there were also, there was also a price to pay. And that price was a church that became like the state. I want to introduce you to somebody. Do we know who this man is? Who? I didn't. No. No. Wellington. Who said that? You blew the whole message for me. (laughs) Hey, good job. Good job, Roger. That's great. I would not have known if I just saw the picture. I would not have known who he was. This is the Duke of Wellington, born in 1769, died in 1852. The Duke of Wellington fought for the crown. He was a general. Look at his uniform, the British crown. The Duke of Wellington fought bravely, worked his way up through the ranks and and the officer corps, of course, because he was a duke. He fought in India. He fought in the Middle East. He fought in Africa. He fought in continental Europe. Right? The one place, because he died in 1852, is he never came here. He never fought against the colonials in the American Revolution. He was known as a skilled tactician, a man of men, a master general. And what is he known most for? He was a prime minister later in life, but he did something. He died in 1852. I'll put his quote up here in a second. But in the early 1800s, he did something masterful. What did he do? He defeated Napoleon Bonaparte at the Battle of Waterloo, which was at that time one of the greatest battles known at that time. Okay. So what is his viewpoint on war? Think about who he is and what he's done. He's sent countless hundreds and thousands to their deaths. What does he think about war? Men of conscientious scruples, I added this part, those who show reluctance on grounds of conscience. So I'll start again. Men of conscientious scruples in religious matters have no business in the army. All conscience... Think, think about this. All conscience, all sense of right must be laid aside by the soldier when engaged in the art of war. Murder, rapine, which means plundering, theft, falsehood, cruelty, and hate are military virtues. So I'll submit, are those the virtues of Christ? Are those the virtues of true Christian living? They're military virtues. And the commander rewards with laurels what God forbids on eternal death. War is not only the repeal of all virtues, but also all the sanctions of our holy religion. I get a feeling that the Duke of Wellington probably didn't want Christians in his army. Think for a second. Nominal Christians, yeah, they can go kill. We'll raise the flag, they'll go do it. But what about those who really think it through? What about those who read Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7? Romans 12, which you read earlier in Sunday school. 
They won't put aside those virtues, will they? Are they going to be valuable fighting the hordes of France and Napoleon? Maybe not. Okay, just think about that. I have one more to submit to you before we go on. Duke of Wellington, I'm sorry, but Roger sniffed it out. Good job. I ordered this book. I put it up there, but it's right here too. But you can see it right there. I ordered this book not knowing who the author was. But I read about it. It's a very small book. It's like, it's from a small Mennonite publisher in Michigan. Okay? It's very small, not many pages. I think it's three, four dollars. Needs to go in our library. Lydia, let me write my name in it and then we'll put it in the library. I'll give it to you today. I, I read it in one setting. It was written in 1863 by a gentleman by the name of John M. Brennerman. What happened in the, mid, in the 1860s, in the early 1860s in this nation? The Civil War. If you were my son-in-law, Ben, he would say the war between the states because he was born in the South, but he's not here today. So the Civil War. John Brennerman is a Mennonite, okay? And Mennonite boys and men in both the North and the South were being picked up off the roads, off the farms, wherever they were, and shoved into the Union and the Confederate armies. He was in the North. So he wrote a letter to Abraham Lincoln and went through all that and asked that Mennonites be exempt from military service. Could they pay a fine? Could they do something else? Okay, that letter is actually in this book. But he also wrote this book. This, I think it was probably a big, big pamphlet back in the 1860s. He wrote this book, and it lays out Christianity and war from a biblical perspective, Old Testament, New Testament. Okay. I knew I had this coming and something else I'm working on for later. So I read it, and I thought, that name sounds familiar. So I took a picture of the cover, and I sent it to, to Mike. Have you ever seen this before? And my phone's not on, so I can't read your reply. But he said, no. <laughs> no, I haven't. So I gave him a brief explanation. I'm going to put a piece of history together for you that is going to be so precious. Okay? I was shocked when I saw this. Who is this author? It explains who he is in the very beginning, but I didn't make the connection. But I made the connection here. This author is the fifth pastor of Turkey Run Mennonite Church. He wrote this book in 1863. So if anybody wants to know what was preached in this church in 1844, and then he was a bishop in 1849. When he wrote this book, he was the bishop and he lived in Allen County, Ohio, in the Mennonite settlements in Elida. There's a connection to Turkey Run. In fact, this is from our website. If you go down further from number five to number 10, there's quite a few other Brennemans that show up in that history. I don't know how they're related, but we have the, we have the word spoken from a pastor from this church in book form in 2023. What is that? 160 years later a pastor from Turkey Run speaks to us. So, get the book. Gives us a great insight. 
The third topic I looked at was one I don't particularly care about talking about, but I think it's important, so we hit on it real quick. It's politics, because that is really, if you read things, well, what's coming up in 2024 in the United States, right? So we're not going to talk about candidates or anything like that. But I will say this. The reason that this, this I'm going to show you the next pictures from Time magazine. This, I've never seen this before. Every country in red is having a national election in 2024. Almost half of the face of the earth will be going to the polls to vote a national elections. Uh, legislators from the national level, like our Congress. Now, you can look at some of those countries uh, in the UK. Uh, Rishi Sunak is the, the prime minister. They say he's probably going to call for elections in 24. That country in the far upper right, Russia, I think we know is going to win that one, so there's no doubt on that. <laughs> hey, that country on the left above Mexico, we might know who's going to win. We don't know. So that's my one hit for the day. Politics. It is high up on the list of things that is being talked about for 2024 because of our, looking at it from the American perspective, our elections. What does God say about it? Okay, I want to give a good perspective here. In the book of Daniel, chapter 4, verse 17, for this has been decreed by the messengers. It is commanded by the Holy One so that everyone may know that the Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world. He gives them to anyone he chooses, even to the lowliest of people. I think the King James says the basest. Look that word up in Hebrew. It means low stature. Um, it means even low in spirituality. Okay, so this is a quote. This section of scripture, I didn't, I do have some, a quote there at the end, but this is a quote. This is Nebuchadnezzar speaking to Daniel, telling Daniel about his dream. And this is what the angel told Nebuchadnezzar. So what we're reading is what the angel said to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Nebuchadnezzar could be considered one of the greatest kings to ever walk outside of Christ, but in the natural world, one of the greatest kings to ever to walk the face of the earth, okay? But he was full of what? Pride. And he thought he built all of that, Babylon, all of that himself. And we know after this in chapter 5 and on, God severely humbled him. But I think it gives us light when we look at the topic of politics that we should never put our faith in it. But he puts the lowliest people. Who puts people on the throne? Who puts people in the, the White House, the other nations, uh, you know, whatever they call 10 Downing Street in the UK? The Most High rules over the kingdoms of the world, and he gives them to anyone he chooses. I'll let that sink in for a second. Don't put your confidence in power pe powerful people. Psalm 146, 3 and 4. There is no hope for you there. When they breathe their last, they return to the earth, and their plans die with them. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. They are like stunted shrubs in the desert with no hope for the future, for they will live 
in the barren wilderness, in an uninhabited salty land, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. In Psalm 118, 8 and 9, he actually says it twice to drive the point home. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. And again, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. What are princes? They're leaders, governmental leaders, leaders of kingdoms, about to be a leader. That now brings us to the last point. The last This subject is touchy. I haven't put it on screen yet. And I'm going to be very careful with the words I use because there are younger eyes and younger ears. But I will explain it, I believe, in a a way. I spent a lot of time praying on this and thinking about it. What else can you think in our future is growing across the world? We can look at central bank digital currencies. We can look at other economic policies. But what about in the culture that is inundated? Everywhere we go, we see it. It's the zeitgeist. So I believe the little kids will not understand the symbols, but those who can understand. So we won't say what they are. I will say that's just a small sampling because in my research, they believe there's 72 of those. So... Zeitgeist is a German word. It means literally time ghost or time spirit. So I'm going to anglicize it a little bit and call it the spirit of the age. Has anyone noticed in the last 10 to 15 years how this has spread across the world? But look at Western culture, namely Western Europe and here. Okay? I have statistics, but this is... (laughs) Therefore, no kid could read that and figure out what we're talking about. It hit Gallup. This is a Gallup survey. It hit Gallup's radar in 2012. And Gallup asked the question, how do you identify? I'm a Christian, but that's not how they answered, of course. How do you identify? Gallup is doing this poll ever since, but they skipped 18 and 19 for a reason I don't know. You can see, let's go all the way to the right. In 2022, 7.2% of the American population said they identified with that spirit of the age, that identity, that lifestyle. We'll call it lifestyle. It was kind of fairly steady there for a while, and then it kind of jumped up. Now, the shocker is preliminary, from what I can see, the 2023 number is going to be around 9 so if you just go from 2020 to 2023, you will see it go like this a little bit. And this is on the rise. It's on the rise so much that this is from Ipsos polling. 47% of all adults say they have a relative, a friend, or a work colleague who identifies with this lifestyle. So I'm going to ask the question here, and raise your hands if you want. How many here in this congregation have a relative, a friend, or a work colleague who you would say identifies with that lifestyle. Okay, I'm going to raise my hand as well. Okay. 
pretty decent number, close to the 47, probably a little under here. But let me, let me say it this way. What does that mean for church, for the church, and evangelism in the future as this percentage goes like this? So I'm not going to put Todd on the spot. I should have gave him warning. But Todd, I would assume when you do street ministry, you run into the people who identify with this lifestyle. Would that be correct? Okay. Imagine this. This whole next week, we have New Year's tomorrow, and then we go back to kind of normal. We're out of the holidays. Everywhere you go for one week, the store, to work, all the other things that you do, if 47% of the people you saw knew somebody who identified with this lifestyle. Think 5, 10, 15, 25, 50 years later from this day, December 31st, 2023, what's that number going to be if the Lord tarries? It's the spirit of the age. It is capturing the minds of America, especially, and the school teachers here, I look at you when I think of this, especially Gen Z and younger I didn't put the stats for time up there, but this number goes like that when you look at people who were born after the mid-90s. It's like 20%, where this is 7.2 or even maybe 9% right now. So think about the future. So what does the Bible say about this? Not going to put out Romans 1 or anything like that. We all know that. But what does Jude say about it? But you, my dear friends, must remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ predicted. They told you that in the last times there would be scoffers whose purpose in life is to satisfy their ungodly desires. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. Uh, I interject. How many church denominations in the last 10, 20 years have split as a result of the spirit of the age I'm referring to? A lot not just denominations, even in our own faith tradition in conferences, not Rosedale, but other conferences in our faith tradition who have gone another way over this issue that we would never, ever consider doing. Back to Jude. These people are the ones who are creating divisions among you. They follow their natural instincts because they do not have God's spirit in them. But you, dear friends, must build up each other in your most holy faith Pray in the power of the Holy Spirit and await the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ who will bring you eternal life. In this way, you will keep yourselves safe in God's love. And here's the important part, the last couple of verses. This would be 22 and 23. And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. Rescue others by snatching them from the flames of judgment. Show mercy to still others, but do so with great caution, hating the sins that contaminate their lives. What are we to do with the spirit of the age? I had a Carl Wesselhoff moment when I was preparing this because Carl would say, Jim, what's the application? (laughs) We're going to look at that real quick. We must show mercy. In other words, we must be available to help. That does not mean, help does not mean affirmation. There are churches out there that are called affirming, okay? And they show mercy, they rescue, but they affirm the sin. 
In fact, they don't even preach against it. That is not our conference, and that is not us. But we still need to be available to rescue when God gives us the opportunity. Amen? This leads us back to our, our, in conclusion, but it leads us back to our original question. What's in store for 2024? We laid out, or I laid out, four points that are hot buttons for this next year in our culture. They're writing so many articles, podcasts about those four subjects. Economy was one of just, I knew I didn't have time to go into it. But those four subjects are on the hot plate. We'll say it that way. They're on the burner right now in our culture and in our world. And it's not just an American thing. It's across the entire globe. What do we do about it? What does the church of the Lord Jesus Christ across the earth do about it? I prayed and I struggled with it. <laughs> I really did. If everybody could please stand. I'm going to put Romans chapter 12. Ethan read a little bit from this, but he, didn't, he did the latter part. He didn't even know, and I didn't know he was going to be reading from it. But Romans chapter 12, verse 9 to 21. In the ESV Bible, this is going to be ESV, the heading for this section of Scripture is called Marks of a True Christian. If you want to open the ESV, if you have an ESV Bible, you can follow along or you can just read it up here. But what I'm going to ask is for some participation. I'm going to read the verse, and then I'm going to ask that after the verse is read, that you scream scream out. Don't Little kids, don't scream. <laughs> that you, you speak out, yes, we will. So what are we going to do in 2024? We do what we did in 2023. We do what we did in 2022. We do what we did in 2021, in 2020, when the world was going to die of a sickness, in 2019 and 2018. We do what John M. Brennerman did when he wrote this in 1863. This is what we do. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, 
but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. And lastly, do not overcome, or excuse me, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. After we pray, Marvin, if you could lead us in doxology, please. And then after we're done, you, you will be dismissed. Father, thank you. Lord, I think Mike mentioned it earlier. It's just another year. It's just the turning of a page, turning of a calendar. But Lord, the people on the earth put so much emphasis on a new year, a new beginning. Lord, for the Christian, Lord, AI, war, rumors of wars, politics, fear, the spirit of the age. Lord, may we never succumb to anxiety or fear over any of those. Father, you heard the professions of our faith. Help us, Lord, to love genuinely, to love with brotherly affection, Lord, to rejoice in hope, to bless those that persecute us, to rejoice with those who rejoice, to weep with those who weep. Lord, that we may live in harmony with one another. Lord, we cannot do this in our own strength. Give us strength, Lord, for whatever comes in 2024 and, of course, many years beyond. We look to you, our rock, our hope, our strength, our comfort, in the mighty name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen.